Constructed Criticism is sponsored by Oasis Games. MTGOasis.com is the place to get cards for your next Magic event. Try them out with code CCMTG for 15% off of your first order, and use the code WouldThatBeGood for 4% off of every order. Want to support the show directly? Head on over to Patreon.com CCMTG to check out some awesome benefits and future goals for the show. Thanks for listening, and here's this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at purentgeo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 406th episode of Constructed Chrism. I am your Reno Jackson host, Mason, joined by my Sir, Minley, Sir Finley Mergleton host, <laughs> Spencer Hallen, and my Elisa Starseeker co-host, Abe. Y'all, it's all about Explorer today, so I did a Hearthstone reference. Do you get it? Dude, that was as bad as uh, having Kyrie Irving on your team uh, in the NBA trying to, like, be a super team, right, Abe? I'm not a basketball guy, but I trust you as uh, that guy doesn't believe the earth is round. I'm just saying, if you are a millionaire, like not just a little bit of a millionaire, like a big, big millionaire. NBA superstar millionaire? Yeah. You can literally have somebody let you fly a plane around the earth. Like that is a th- that is an option available to you. How you could be a flat it's earther? Based. Yeah, it's, it's true. not that hard. You can just hit up elon and be like it's true it's true let me get on the space machine it's true like dope tweet about it and then i I was go i was talking to to abe about this in the pre-show before mason joined but like it is a definite always improving moment for for mr Kyrie here like the dude clearly needs to be always improving and needs to help himself and his team and be a little bit more self-aware that's you know what this podcast is all about right mason oh 100 percent I gotta say, I love the interview I saw. Interview. Shaq was on a show. Uh, this is my basketball player right now. I know Shaq and the Chicago Bulls. That's all I know. Uh, and Kobe Bryant. Anyways, he was on the show and he, he asked the question, what's further? New York to LA or New York to the moon? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, he's like, I know how long it is to New York to LA. Like, I've ridden on a plane, but I've never gone to the moon so i just don't know but it seems like they do it pretty quickly and then like they went to commercial break and they came back and he was laughing and they're like it's like a couple thousand miles to the moon it takes a bit uh, i got i got a story about this i gotta i gotta drop this on the podcast so my first mtg teammate i ever had just like my roommate my best friend gavin i love you i did a podcast with Gavin. you can't find it don't look for it but we were having a conversation one time if you're local to utah and you're listening to the podcast you will understand how ridiculous this is but he said that it was farther the 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 moon was about as far as provo was from salt lake city and for those who don't know provo to salt lake city is about like 60 to 62 miles and i was like i just want to understand something gavin you think that it's like 60 miles to the moon he's like yeah we live in a, a place that just like Denver has like a mile high elevation. Do you think it's like 58 miles to the moon from our mountains? Yeah. It's like, no, <laughs> no, bro. By the way, in case you're curious, it takes three days to get to the moon. 
uh, it's very uh, far. In good, in good standing. Like, you know, at the speed of rocket jets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now you know. At the speed at which we can reasonably get there. You know, the Flash does it all the time. So does Superman. Spe- speaking of speed, how fast are we going to get to the point of this podcast, Mason? I was about to segue there. Uh, it's just four minutes, baby. Just a couple minutes. We got a little head before the clap, too. So, you know, we're good to go. But it is all about uh, Explorer today. This is the newest uh, arena format. I know, I know. Hopefully the last one for a long time. But we've got one last new one we're going to talk all about. It's very exciting. It's Pioneer Plus, if you haven't really heard about it. Or Pioneer Minus, I should say. We're going to get more into that later. But first, we need to do Always Improving. It is the main point of the show. My Always Improving moment take the the reins here even more is i'm jumping into limited i've done done listen to sam black a little bit i got some lords of limited i believe is their name or limited lords i'm dyslexic don't Lord, lords of limited lords is limited. lords of really limited good, is really in really fact marshall i love you buddy I, if you're listening somehow you know as as one of the 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 godfathers of constructive criticism the person that helped us get this started I love you. I'm sorry our listeners were so mean to you uh, when you started your uh, constructed show. But I do think Lords Unlimited is like legitimately the second best limited podcast. That The way that they do the show is insane. By the way, side note, did you know Marshall has a very successful watch restoration? I did. Channel? I did know this. I've thought about buying watches because of it. He has like 2.5 million subscribers, Abe, on this, this YouTube channel. Yeah, I knew I, if you're watching the video, you'll see Abe. Abe was like, kind of like, whatever, Mason. But I saw because he was in a local news report. Uh, <laughs> they like did an interview with Marshall. It was very wild. Yeah, so my wish for a moment this is the start of the journey to get Capenna down. And here's why. Because I'm going to get my little prelude. I'll, I'll be checking in every now and again. I'm not going to leave you week by week. But basically, my LGS does this thing. Where every every FNM is draft only. That's all they do is draft uh, all, all the constructed stuff on the weekend, and they do this league thingy where they're like, "Hey, we track your points, your match points, and the top eight from our drafts from when the set starts to so right before it ends, they get invited to an eight person draft. All expenses paid. Uh, winner gets a set booster, and like second place gets half. Blah 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 blah. And the limited is the weakest part of my game by a margin that cannot be described eloquently on the show. So I want to improve that and having this factor, this little motivating thing. I don't want to not top eight. I want to compete. I want to have the, the incentives or whatever, and I want to win. I want to get the box. So this is it. I'm hopeful this limited is fun because I'm hot committed to like eight or nine FNMs I normally wouldn't play and doing a bunch of stuff and doing a bunch of content or like indulging a bunch of content. So uh, that's my always improving moment. I'm got some early stuff of limited. I know some cards by their art. I'm ready. I didn't do the pre-release, but I'm ready. Did you do the uh, the arena package to get your your really good price on drafts? No. You could probably yet. still get it during this podcast for what it's worth. Uh, if you want to do that during our always improving moments, but it's 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 actually a really good price for. You also get a sealed token, so you can like learn the limited format a little bit before you do your drafts. It's a it's actually a pretty good deal. It is one of the things that while I've been a pretty big in opposition of arena's economy that package specifically is actually pretty good yeah, it looks like abe is agreeing it. with me yeah no like i don't personally buy because i don't like to put money into arena but i will say that like my friends who do they're all like yeah it's the only thing i'll ever buy 
and yeah, I, there, there was a while where I did would that was how I would do arena. It was just that package because it's like 50 bucks for three drafts and a sealed. And it like basically free rolled me through every draft format for, you know, I was like a lot of sets. Yeah. So my always improving this week was also nuke pen limited related um, for the people who listened to the pre-show the patrons who caught that heard me talking about how I'm really excited to uh, go to SCGCon Pittsburgh and play the main event this weekend. But I, for the first time in a very long time, actually have sat down with the full card list and like hashed out the mechanics and the implications of the format down to the stat lines and really like done a full on like pro tour level prep that I used to do for, for people and help people with for a limited. And it's really just been good to get in the weeds bit is actually practicing this process for a couple of weeks now with eternal tcg uh, which is a digital uh, tcg that i've been playing on the recommendation of my friend jonathan and really just digging into what makes like what are what are the quote-unquote rules of the format like you know how not only how draft archetypes wind up breaking out but also like how you would sit in the seat and draft them what the important cards to be looking at in the sealed pools are making notes of rares that I need to play with more to really understand if they're good or not, baselines of the format that I'm looking to, to try to have, and just taking all this time to really study up and be prepared for an event has been, and especially like back-to-back after doing it for this other game, have really been like refreshing, and I, I feel like I've learned a lot and just noted how much better I've gotten at doing it Overall, since the times that I was doing these long write-ups for for Pro Tour testing teams that I was working with, in just the way that I'm thinking about it, the way I'm processing it, the things I've learned probably like four years ago now that I was I was doing that back around like Hour of Devastation and Amonkhet, into doing it now, the things that I think about differently, uh, the way that I'm able to approach it, really, like, not only do I feel like I'm doing a really good job of it right now, I also feel like I'm seeing how far I've come, which has been really, really uh, gratifying. So, I would like to kind of jump on that because while you guys can probably see what I put into the show notes for my OS improving moment, it's a pretty big deal to do with learning from other games in a lot of ways. I really like the point that you made, which is something that I've gotten bad at, which is using the things that you're doing elsewhere to improve in magic. And I, I have done that in specific ways of like, looking for opportunities to improve at magic as many of you who are listening know, their crown two is coming up in utah which is a i think it's a gold level smash world tour event for melee and smash brothers ultimate i've had some pretty huge strides in smash over the last little while to the point where i switched mains which is i can't really express how hard that is to like a magic podcast but like today, my testing partner, former coach of the show, Mackling, was like, Pokemon Trainer is now your best character, like by a lot. Like it is, it was a good switch. You did it, you like made a good decision. But what has happened, um, I think as a result of how much I've been focusing on Smash, is I think I got pretty lazy in Magic. I did find a lot of opportunities this for from Smash to help me find ways to improve. But I'll kind of talk about specifically what happened. I actually noticed this, uh, Mason, when you messaged me about Mono White, a deck that I had pretty much been championing pretty hard, right, in the Discord and in other places. And Mason's like, hey, do you have an updated Mono White list? 
And I thought about it. I was like, dude, I haven't updated that deck in three weeks, four weeks. Like, um, I'd just been playing the same thing. And mostly it was because I was practicing Pokemon Trainer and Smash. That that was where I was focusing my time. And I was like, man, that's really weird. So, like, I had started to put more time into Magic and split my time between Magic and Smash. But what ended up happening is that, I don't know if it was this week or the week before, I was playing ladder and events on Arena as I was trying to figure out where I was landing on the format, basically, for standard before the new set dropped. I think I 2 2 three events in a row and went 50% on ladder uh, as far as my stat recorder told me for, like, quite a while. And I was like, this is not normal for me, right? Like, 50, there's probably a lot of people that would be really happy with 50% win percentage, but it's it's at least 10 to 15% lower than probably my norm. And it's like, okay, well, what's happening? And pretty quickly I realized that I was turning magic into... I don't know if a chore is the right word, or if, like... I think that a lot of us, Mason, myself, Michael, Matt... I, I don't know if you've ever talked about this, Abe, where, like, we just go start to go through the motions of magic rather than actually being an active participant in the game. I think that I had become pretty lazy in magic. And I think that, overall, there are a lot of little things that you can do in magic that as you get better and better, you start to discount that you're doing them. And then eventually, I think that you, you can start to ignore them out of laziness, and then you start to fall. A really good example of this I'll talk about later, but like the, the reason that I noticed this was there was a, a moment where I did combat math to see if my opponent was dead. And I was like, I don't actually remember the last time I did this. Because what had ended up happening uh, for a lot of it was, this looks good, I'll do this. A lot of the time. While that works out a lot of the time, it does not work out in those moments where you actually have to do the math. Like, you actually have to figure it out. And then I found a lot of different moments where that was happening. And so for me, this week, I realized that my frustrations with magic, where I felt like I was getting unlucky, were actually coming from me not being an active participant. Like, me not taking part in the games in the way that I should, whether it's simple math or sequencing my lands or, I mean, we, I think I talked about it a few weeks ago where like I had a loss in the team event that I played with Quentin and Matt, where I didn't look at my opponent's graveyard and didn't realize that like I had one turn or two turns or something. And then I lost that game. I won that match, but like that could have cost my team. And it's like, okay, I'm clearly being lazy in magic right now. And I think that realizing those moments is a pretty big deal to me right now as my time is stretched between multiple games, but also because I think that I'm good enough to not have those moments. I can actually actively participate and improve. And that is a better use of my time than just going through the motions. So that's my always improving moment. Yeah, it's a lot like practicing good basketball leads to good basketball. Practicing sloppy basketball leads to sloppy basketball. You know what I mean? Same same thing. And so uh, I, I love that one. It's a important one. It's an easy one to slip into. But honestly, I, I find the game way more fun when we don't slip into those things. So I'm glad I, you're uh, noticing that. I put that in the show notes, and I didn't really touch on it, but 
I had not been having fun with Magic for like a couple weeks, like maybe two to three. I was like, man, this is weird because like I'm really excited about Magic. Like what's not fun about it? And what you just said, Mason, where it's like the game is more fun. I specifically was having fun when I had that moment of doing combat math. I was like, I really want to win this game. I think this is a good matchup for me. I am engaged. And then I was like, holy crap. I haven't been doing this for weeks. No wonder I haven't been having fun. I haven't been engaged. I don't know how hard that is to recognize, but it was it was hard for me. Yeah, I, yeah. I can't think of a single time where I've not had that experience with some game I'm playing where I'll kind of fall into playing out of habit or like, you know, just taking the easiest, like best looking option and like not playing with full consideration, not not like playing to play my best. And, you know, that's really, I feel like, where, like a huge sign of burnout to me when, when I recognize it myself is when I'm doing that. Because when I'm doing that, that's ultimately what leads to me being like, I've just played so much and I'm not getting anywhere. And, you know, I'm not making progress forward. I'm not winning as much as I want to. And it's like, well, I'm not even giving it my all in the first place. And I, now I'm feeling tired of doing it because I'm spending all this time doing it without actively participating in it. And sometimes the answer is you just need to start being more cognizant and play more. And sometimes the answer is, you know, in those times where you find yourself not really caring about it or thinking about doing something else, sometimes you just need to put it down and then come back to it when you do will actually have the energy and, and the care to, to think about the games you're playing. And that's something that, you know, I, I actually do a lot. Like one of the reasons I've been playing so much Eternal uh, instead of playing a lot of Modern or Pioneer is that when I find myself sitting down to play those formats right now, I don't really have a motivation or drive to be doing anything that really engages me right now with the format whereas eternal was really drawing me into that so so i found that i've improved a lot you know not only in eternal but in like in the things that i've learned through learning about that game and being able to apply them backwards and laterally into magic and into the way that i prepare for things has been really really helpful because it's made my entire process feel fresh whereas like you know now that nuke pen is out and i'm very interested in the limited format I have this drive and attention towards that. And so I can play actively without being the spot of like, well, I, I don't want to draft when it comes out on Wednesday. I'm just going to, all I've done is play modern leagues for, for like two weeks now. And I don't really feel like I'm getting more. So that, that, that feeling is really, really good to recognize for a lot of reasons. So I'm glad that it's something that you're able to be working with. You've, you've prompted a question. And I think that it's important for the listeners to recognize that like these moments can come from those people close to you, but like, you're two of the people that I trust in Magic probably the most right now. So I'm going to ask this. Uh, it was pretty hard for me to recognize and come to this moment of realization. Uh, and if you don't have an answer, that's okay. I'm putting you both on the spot. But, like, how do you find these moments? Like, how do you recognize that you're in these lulls or these moments of, like, is it just that you're not having fun? Like, how do you, how do you catch yourself? Do you have an answer, Abe? Because I have a rough answer. Uh, you shoot first. Okay. The The biggest way I find myself, and it's like two part there to the lulls, right? To like being engaged versus like not engaging, right? So like with not engaging, I catch myself because what happens is I'll play some, and I'll think about while the games while I'm playing, don't get me wrong. But then a lot of the other time in my free time, I'm thinking of the games passively and kind of rewriting them and stuff. And I can't figure out why I didn't do something where I have like a harder time, that sort of stuff. That's a pretty big tell to me that I'm not engaging. And it's like harder to remember and think about what was going wrong and try to figure figure stuff out. Uh, another one is 
honestly, like when I'm not for like specifically leagues, like if I'm not for winning leagues, I often like stop myself and think like, why am I not doing my normal, my, my rate of plays about, I for one about every league I play when I try. I've been keeping track of it for a while and it's pretty accurate. And so when I start like three, two and two, three leagues, I'm like, what's going wrong? These sort of things. Often it's, I'm not actually playing magic and I'm playing magic where I am like, I enjoy, believe it or not, I enjoy playing magic. It's a fun, enjoyable thing. It's easy to not be playing at your actual best all the time. And so that's one way where I catch myself. And uh, those are like the big ones. And then when it comes to not having fun, that one's a little harder. I rarely don't have fun playing magic. In fact, I would say the times I have the least fun is when my deck is the best deck by a lot. I hate having like easy matchups all the time. So I think when I start crushing and dominating with the deck is when I'm at the lowest enjoyment of fun. I'll go back to your first point. This is this is how I noticed it, right? It was like the 50% win percentage was like a pretty big giveaway to me. I was like, well, this isn't normal for me. Like, what's, what's going on here? But I think I should be able to catch it before that. I mean, maybe it's not possible. Maybe, I don't know, like a good comparison here, but like maybe you can't see that you're doing something wrong until you do something wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard to, like, know when you're not bringing your best. Like, I had I had a moment, I'm in this, uh, this Mario Golf League in a Discord. Uh, this is, like, a really deep cut of, of like, knowing when you're not playing Like, your the best. new one that just came? Like, the new, not the one that just came to switch through the... Through the N64? Like the N64 one. Because that, that's multiplayer now, right? Yeah, you can do that, but not that one. Okay, so 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 that'll be a that'll be a Patreon goal. We'll all play Mario Golf. Try to beat Abe. I'm not good at the N64 one. If you have Super Rush, you might be able to beat me if you're really good. But I am pretty good at that game. Is that the new Switch one? Yeah, yeah. So I'm in a league for that game. Just just a fun one to like play. I think that you underestimate mason's want to just beat somebody at something he spent exactly seven hours on i've seen the mason tier list i know that he doesn't even like mario golf yeah but like you didn't you didn't challenge him to do something he hates just to beat you seen me play a a league match i think in in season one of the league i i did i i I, me and ginger ghosted abe and we were like oh this guy hit the like the entire time just like yelling at abe's ear Uh, (laughs) yeah so I had this moment where it, it was Passover last week, which means I was like under the strict dietary restriction. We had to re-record the episode. I was like a little uh, like, you know, angsty and frustrated about that uh, situation happening. And like I, for a million reasons, I was like not playing my best. And I wound up losing this match where I was like definitely better than my opponent if we ran it like 99 times. But like that day, I wasn't in it. I wasn't playing well. And I had to ask myself, like, why did that just happen? Like, what are you doing out What's going on that's making you play so below your average game? You know, like asking that question to myself, I, was, I like thought of all these things. I was like, yeah, of course, I'm like not really in it to play this game right now. Like I should have like either rescheduled it to another day or like, you know, taken more care of I really wanted to win. But it wasn't it wasn't in it. And when it comes to magic, I'll have days where I'm like not feeling like I'm playing my A game or I have a spot where I'm like, I definitely could have played that better. Why wasn't I asking myself questions? Which is my number one thing that I think is is where I catch myself is when I stop asking myself questions while I'm playing, when I stop allowing myself to have an internal process that leads to discovering information about my opponent's hand or, you know, about what they're planning to do. When I stop thinking about the game on that dynamic and trying to solve it, that's when I know that I'm like checked out and need to need to evaluate what's going on. Um, yeah. I think that was my second moment of realizing how disengaged I was for what it's worth. 
Yeah, when I started playing around Go Blank, I was like, oh, this is why this card is so frustrating because I haven't played around it for like a month. And now I just beat three Go Blank decks in a row because I, I did it. And for, for, yeah. for context, the second I made this change, I immediately posted an updated deck list uh, to Twitter that I 5 one with in an arena event. It's like, okay, well, it's an arena event, Spencer. Why does it matter? Well, it matters because, like, I got five, three to, I don't even know. I think it was five two twos in a row. I don't think it's that hard to get five wins right now on arena, on an arena event, right? And so, like, the fact that I wasn't getting them was really weird, especially considering, like, I was just posting them every week. So I really appreciate your guys' feedback there and your context. I think that it really aligns with how I was feeling. So thank you. I would just note if you're a listener and you maybe feel like, what am I supposed to get at? Like, maybe that's a little hard because you might not be at that sort of point where we're talking about. But I would the thing I noticed about all three of us is we all said, when we didn't have the dialogue where we couldn't answer the question of what we were thinking in the game, which is basically what, what I said, but in like a weird Mason way. It, no, no, no. It downgrades you from like Oasis to Game Cave. And so like, thus you must speak at that level. Uh, game Cave has got my order wrong. Uh, anyways, oh! <laughs> I love Oasis, but they did do me dirty on the recent one. But then they sent me a free Deathrite Shaman with the newest one. So it's kind of balancing out a little bit. Uh, anyways, what I was going to say is uh, if you're trying to work on something you improve as well, or and you're listening, if you're not essentially coaching yourself through the entire game you're playing, I would highly suggest doing that. That's basically like talking about what the reasoning is and why you're making the plays you're making. Uh, it is very helpful. We spent 30 minutes on always improving. Let's move on to, to the Patreon notes. The show will always be free, but if you want to support the show, you go to patreon.com slash ccmtg. You have benefits like asking a Patreon question, which we'll get to at the end of the show. But first, we need a little housekeeping. Spencer, what do we got to take care of? If you're watching now, it's kind of awkward because like, I assume that this show would get less live views because I posted the previous episode like, I don't know, like less than an hour before we went live. We're doing the show live. One of the pieces of feedback we got is that when we switched to editors, the show went from going up on either Wednesday or Tuesday to Thursdays, right? And then this week, because of some issues, it went up on Monday. Well, we've solved that problem. If you want the show as early as possible, if you are a patron of $5 or more, you get access to this show live. And it will be available in the VOD in the patron every week. So if you want the earliest access to the show, patron of $5 or more. For what's worth, we record Mondays at Thank you. Uh, 10 p.m. Eastern. So yep. you could have it then, you know. Or, or, or whenever it, it is before the show goes live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What else does this mean? I mean, early access. It also means that if we don't have a Patreon question for that week, you can be the one to ask it. It also means as something that has been requested a lot of times from patrons, but it was always kind of weird to do is Q&A episodes. Uh, if we get enough people that want to jump into the chat and just do it, and I don't care how many questions you want to ask. I, I know we have at least three patrons that would jump at the chance to just have their questions answered for 45 minutes. That's enough to me. So, like, that is a future option due to the new format. What does this mean? It means the mic checks are going away. We we did them today. 
you know, I adjusted audio before we went live. Those things will continue to happen. If you are enjoying those segments, we had quite a few patrons that were watching those every week and giving comments on them. But like that will just take place during the live shows. If you weren't watching today, we did those and then switched to this recording. And that will kind of be the format. I just want to say thank you to Mason and Abe because this was a change I wanted to make that I believed improved like what we were providing to the listener. And I already see the benefit just from us having this conversation. And, you know, sometimes the Q&A, like the questions might have might be covered during the mic check or whatever, too. So uh, we've definitely talked about stuff that ends up not ending up in the show just for whatever reason. Sometimes we get too many questions. But enough of that. Time to get down to the meat and potatoes. It's Explorer time. So I mentioned at the top of the show, but there's a brand new format coming to Arena. It's called Explorer. What is it? Well, it's Pioneer Light. So basically, Wizards heard us, and they're like, hey, we want to get Pioneer on Arena. That's the goal. It's going to take us a year or two to get all the cards that matter on Arena, which is another thing we should mention real quick, is they've basically confirmed not every card from Pioneer is going to end up on Arena. Really, the cards that are showing play are going to end up there, so don't expect, you know, some weird deck that needs every 2-2 in Magic to ever show up. It's just not going to get made there. But they're going to slowly be adding cards more and more, and they've mentioned that the Historic Anthology that comes out this early summer is going to have a lot of cards for Pioneer in it as well, and owning those cards in Arena are going to have it there. So it's going to just be Pioneer with what's legal on Arena with the goal of catching it up as soon as possible. Those cards that are missing, we're going to talk about here later in the show. So if you're curious, don't worry, we're going to get to that soon. Basically, that's all this format is. It follows the same ban list for right now. It's going to just follow the same path, and it's just going to be the bridge from Pioneer uh, and Paper to Arena, and eventually they will connect, and the Explorer format will just be Pioneer, and that will be that when it comes to things. Along those same lines... When it comes to the Explorer format, the cards do not change on Arena. So I mentioned how they're in Historic or whatever. It is not like Alchemy. So a card gets, like, for example, let's say Winota got changed in Alchemy, and so now she hits four cards instead of six. That will not affect Explorer. Explorer cards are just like paper cards. Their text is sacred. It will not change. So that's the big picture. But what does this mean for Arena? I have a lot of thoughts on what you just said, and I don't really know where to start here. The first thing that I have to say, I did a lot of research for this episode, and I didn't see where they said what you just said, which is that they don't plan to release every card in Pioneer on Arena. They said it in the announcement. So was that on the live show or was that on? In the article. They even used the example I used. Where they okay. said, We're not going to make every 2-2. I, two, two. I try and get cards with effects, basically. That's fair. That, that piece is fair. I do have a problem with that idea. I already had a problem with their model, and I'll just, I'll just say it at the beginning of the show. I am like the king of talking crap on MTGO. If you've listened to the show for years, you know I didn't like it. I thought it was like... As somebody who made software, I thought it was terrible. When I played Arena for the first time, I was like, this is the future of Magic. If you're not on it, you're an idiot. And I was right for a couple of years. I have a pretty big problem with the idea that you can't simply release flashback draft formats of these cards. Um, for context, that is literally what the master sets were on MTGO for years. It is a little different, right? Because they were only... Eventually, it's what it became, right? 
I don't understand why Arena can't do that. And I think that it's appalling that they won't do it, that they are focused too much on these Arena-only formats so they won't give us this product that we clearly all want. I think the main problem is is stuff like Time to Feed, where it weirdly just doesn't work on Arena. When Jumpstart came to Arena, and like I'm not asking this to you, Spencer, I'm saying this like in the verbal, like people who like think about it. Do you think Time to Feed was banned because it was too strong or because it didn't work on the client? And that I, card is I, a bunch I, of weird words. So. Yeah, that, that card that card's like a, a weird example, but I, I'm curious if that's the main hurdle of stuff. No. I, I think I'm, I'm sure I'm sure they would love to do constant arcade drafts and I, I think I think this is a good talking point for this part of the podcast. So I'm just going to read it. And if you the editor, if you want to put it on the, the show, but tell me if you just two and a green for a sorcery, choose target creature and opponent controls. When that creature uh, dies this turn, you gain three life target creature. You control fights that creature. I work in software. I do not see how this card would be hard to code. Like, do you know how hard this card is to understand in Magic? Do like dubiously so. So, if we look on the, there are exactly three. All of them being the week that it was printed rulings for this card. So there are a couple things. One, uh, I assume that this has to do with how it targets your thing versus their thing. Is that accurate? Yeah, that it's not just a straight fight targeting, but also like the part where if it's broken up and their creature dies this turn, you still gain three life. So I assume that this works the way that like uh, this might be too old for Mason, but like uh, Arc Trail worked right in standard. Yeah. I know Arc Trail. Oh, good job, Mason. <laughs> You're way more boomer than we give you credit for. <laughs> Uh, no, I assume that this was like an arc trail problem, right? If there's one thing that I've learned of being a product manager in software, I don't want to go too deep into this, by the way. So this will be the last thing they say on it is that everything is possible in software. It is about the amount of resources that you want to put into it. And my problem is, is they put a lot of resources into a bunch of crap we didn't care about for two years. And so it's like, all right. We don't care about that. You're not making money off of it. And your response is, we won't give you the thing that you want, but we're making some money from this, so we'll keep doing it. And I'm not okay with it. Yeah, I don't have any of expertise about software and stuff, but I could imagine that, like, if I were to give give the benefit of that to Wizards here as to why they wouldn't just put all the cards out, I think that there's some amount probably of concern about memory bloatage of having all the cards present in all their different versions, which I think is a long-term issue that uh, Magic Arena will will have at some point is the card database size. Hold on, so why does it why doesn't Hearthstone have that problem then? Hearth, Hearthstone is older than Arena. I can tell you why for what it's worth. It's because the, all the files are text files rather than like coding files when you upload the game. I, I think it's probably just an engine issue for a bunch of the cards that are that that they're worried about or whatever. If there are any, I think that I'm not going to lose any sleep over not being able to play. Blade of the Sixth Bride or whatever. I think it depends, right? Like, the second that a card hits a Pioneer that is not in this format, we will care. But if that doesn't happen, then we won't care, right? Like, it'll just be great. Yeah, and I also think I, that if it does happen, they probably have the capability to just find a fix to insert the card into the, into the client. Yeah, like, like if Time Defeat was the linchpin, for example, of Pioneer, I'm sure... It would either get banned or it would get, you know, it would get solved. You know what I mean? It would just a thing that they, they could add. Uh, given the the problem, my guess is that they're just, the budget's kind of small. And it's, they got to do what they got to do with their Hasbro, you know, billion dollar company. Anyways, doesn't matter. We're moving on. 
we all agree that anything is possible software with enough money. I, I have a I have a question for you too before we move on to like decks though. What does this format entering the ecosystem mean for competitive magic on arena? This is the fourth quadrant of their four quadrant constructed format approach to having constructed magic on on arena. I love seeing Spencer laugh really hard at that, but it's just the truth. Where they have an alchemy arena only standard format, a historic arena only uh, constructed non-rotating format. Now they have a paper uh, mirroring format and standard and a paper mirroring format they're working towards through this format, through Explorer to Pioneer. And it is a part now of the digital paths to the Pro Tour um, through Arena. And that means it is just as much a big deal as standard alchemy and historic. At the very least, on top of having this implication that's also bringing up uh, Pioneer even further than it has been. I don't know if, if you'd add anything else to that. It matters as soon as it matters for a qualifier season, the way I think all the arena formats matter. Like, no one really cares about the arena formats until the qualifier happens for them in a lot of ways. I mean, people obviously care, but when it comes to, like, competitive magic and, like, the focus and everything, it's just another thing to have your focus on. And luckily, this format overlaps so much with standard and historic originally that I think onboarding for it will be pretty easy wildcard-wise for a lot of players, assuming you've already kept up with that. And so I think it's going to just be like Abe said, uh, it's a part of competitive magic. It's just as important as the other things when it's time comes in the sun. And it's another way for people who love arena to have another new format to play and kind of cycle through, you know, we play standard for the first two weeks. Then I play a little alchemy when the new thing drops. Then I play a little historic and I play a little pioneer. I'm back to standard, you know, and like you get to do your whole little thing. about. I think that I'm pretty close to Mason on this. Other than the fact that I don't think anybody plays Alchemy. I think it's an unplayable dead format uh, that only is played because of the Pro Tour. But I do think that what's really interesting, because we recorded our pick-to-set review, and then the next day an announcement dropped, and then two days later another announcement dropped, there's a lot happening on this podcast that I want to cover for this, which is that Arena is turning a lot closer into MTGO when you think about competitive play as far as events becoming more closely aligned with a thing that you can do as a competitive player on arena rather than just ladder. And for me, as somebody who is going to be both an arena player an MTGO player and a paper player, this format is pretty important to me because I will probably play some amount of events for this to get me the equivalent of basically QPs. Uh, we'll put the article in the show notes that kind of explains this um, to help me qualify because I, I am not interested in ladder play. And thus, this format is an option for me to participate in the competitive landscape of Magic uh, that doesn't have to be arena only and that can be part of my suite of things. Real quick, I'm going to give you the rundown listener if you haven't heard just so you can understand yeah. everything Spencer said there. The new announcement is basically this. When it comes to the big qualifier weekends before you be top 1,200, what's going to happen now is top 250 get an auto invite, and then 251 to 1,200 get points. You use points to enter what you would have done before and what the top 250 get. So I believe it was 25 points, um, and you get some number of that from the 250 to 1,200, but you also get four points every 5-0 in events, and I think it's, I want to say two points for four winning, but essentially 
if you do that, you will then qualify, be able to do it. So you, you no longer have to participate with ladder, which is basically what I'm getting to. If you have had a problem with arena and ladder, which I think is a thing a lot of people have had problems with, I, for one, never push for top 1200. It's never worth my time. You can now play these events, and the events will give you gold and gems. They, they cost gold and gems to enter, to be fair, but they will give you gold and gems and these points. And so it's a way to actually, like, much like how draft players get stock accounts, in theory, you can stock your account up a little bit with this. Yeah, Not quite it, as much as draft, but a good amount. It's a, it's a way to free roll construct it, too, which is already a problem with the arena economy. And I'll just add on to what Mason just said, because I think that it's important to call out that you can do this. But also the price is increasing. So like the price of events is going to increase, but the price support is going to increase as well to both accommodate for the fact that you can now free roll your account with these as well as what's even crazier for what it's worth, because I think I obviously have been talking poorly on Wizards of the Coast on this podcast, but what was it? A month ago, they did their economy announcement where they announced changing the cards they were going to give out in events. And then they immediately were like, actually, we're just going to change events after the negative feedback too. We're going to let you free roll your account in constructed just like we do in limited. And also that will be a path to qualification as will limited moving forward. So like kudos to them. Like they, they definitely listened after that announcement where people basically accuse them of not listening. So good for them. I thought it was that you got play in points that you used to play a play in event. That is correct. But that is, that is, it's not like you auto qualify for top 250. You get the play in event qualification. Yeah, so the play and event, Abe, is the new thing that was the arena qualifier. And then you basically have to do that to then play the actual thing. Does that make sense? So it's like basically PPTQ for the points, RPTQ Pro Tour. Because okay. because there's but, now but an I, arena... Top 250, do I skip the play and event? No, play no, be, no, because there's like, now... So No, 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 it doesn't suck. There's but, a reason but, but, it doesn't but, suck. Hold on. It's because there's now an arena championship, which there was not before. Also, you can play that event as many times as you have buy. Yes, that is true. So, too. In, in, in theory, so getting 250 is like basically saving yourself like 12 hours of grinding at like an 80% clip. Right. So, if, so if I, in, in theory, you could have three shots on a weekend pretty yeah. easily if you played only arena. And, and the thing is, is like the same thing is true of events. If you're just like an event grinder, right? And you like stock up enough event points, it's the same thing. And also, there's now like a. Just like the MTGO championship, there's now an arena equivalent of that. Sorry, we went really deep on the other announcement here, Mason. What decks do we just know are going to be there? We have it listed a little differently, but I think it's probably important to talk about the missing key cards in Pioneer and then go over the decks that aren't really super effective. We'll go through it more. So I'm going to read these off a little slowly and clearly. If you don't know, I highly suggest stopping. And looking them up, but for the most part, you should know them. We have Hidden Strings, Days and Doing, Fiery Impulse, which is a bolt, uh, JVP, Desbian Stage, Elvish Mystic, Horror Over the Pages, Behold the Beyond, Pain Lands, Deathrite Shaman, Monastery Swift Spear, Treasure Cruise, Dig Through Time, Idol on the Great Rebel, Thing in the Ice, Collective Defiance, Supreme Verdict, Dread Boar, Liliana the Last Hope, Mana Confluence, basically all of BFC except for Ulamog, Kalidas, Urborg, Tomb of Yawgmoth, Voice of Resurgence, and Mutavolt. Those cards are not in Explore that are big players in Pioneer. So if I listed a card there, it is not on Arena. I think that that's 
22 cards plus lands and Eldrazi, right? Like, are they missing? And that's uh, it. Missing Gideon are the two big ones that are missing, but yes. There's no Gideon ally of Zendikar. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And, and, but those are not listed. That's fair. So it's 24 yeah. cards plus lands, which is all the lands missing, right? The, and, and. The, the pain lands actually aren't played anymore. So it's like. They, well, they, they, they saw play this week on uh, MTGO for what it's worth. Yeah, a few, they, they a few of like them. Occasional play. Yeah, 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 but they're, they're but the much. the blue green one and the blue red one specifically see play. I think the rest of them do not. That's so much less than a set worth of cards. Yeah. Also, if you're thinking about the format, think about normally an anthology adds about twenty five cards. So if we think the anthology will add twelve cards that are impactful to uh, Pioneer. We'll have the format when it comes to big player cards currently. Six months. Probably by this time. Probably this time next year. Because they they do an anthology every six months. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I thought that they were along with set reviews. That makes sense. So the two big decks are Blue White Control and Winota. These are the top playing decks that have almost no changes. Blue White Control is missing Supreme Verdict. uh, And like French Cyborg cards on occasion, but not even. So they're missing Supreme Verdict. And then Winoda is missing Elvish Mystic, but it has Gilded Goose that you can replace it with. And it's missing Voice of Resurgence, like we mentioned in the list. So this is the the starting place. These are two of the decks that are pretty big when it comes to having cards missing. But for the sake of the conversation, let's start with Winoda, because I think proactive decks are typically really good at filling in the things they're replacing with. And I've played the As Written event on Arena a good bit which was essentially this exact format with a different name. They kind of beta tested it to see if people liked it. And the Winota deck was very, very good. Even with just Gilded Gooses, like your deck was still really strong. And Voice of Resurgence is not make or break. It's just a really good sticky threat. And it's funny, part of the reason it's so good is it's good against Supreme Verdict. So having Supreme Verdict gone, there will be other rafts that take its place, but it is not like a do or die situation. Yeah, really quickly, while Supreme Verdict is missing... Wrath of God is not legal in in Pioneer, right? So it's but they do have Day of Judgment uh that is it yeah, is they have like Shatter the Sky. Is and, Day of uh, Judgment also not legal? Day of Judgment's not legal. No, you have you're, you're Oh, I definitely I definitely misunderstood the show notes then. Uh and also said this wrong in the Discord, so patrons, I'm sorry. I just assumed it was legal. No, it hasn't been printed in since uh standard uh in the Pioneer Times. Because it's not in Pioneer either. It's in right, it's right. That would make sense. Yeah, yeah. That's weird. That's weird that they gave us two four mana wraths in historic that were not Supreme Verdict. But we, I, we do, I we do still think have, we still have four. We still have two of them. Sorry, a four mana wrath. Oh yeah, I was gonna say I do think that both. Uh, I think Shatter the Sky is the one that cares about uh, power. Oh, yeah. I think that one's probably pretty good in that format. The other uh, one is the multicolor one that just came out. Yeah, is that the black white one though? No, that that one's white white. There's also the Caius Wrath, which I believe you're thinking of. That one's but that one's mana cost. No, no, Caius Wrath is black black white white kill everything. Oh, that's right, that's right. But there's one in there's one in uh, Streets of Nuke Penna that's just like if you have a multicolor creature, draw a card. Sure, sure. Uh, So I think there are a lot of replacements in blue white. One of the I I had noted a few replacements myself for the missing elf. I think that depending on the deck, like the early mono green decks, for example, played uh, a, a special sloth instead of a elf. I think Gilded Goose fits really well into things like Winota. So I think there are a lot of replacements specifically in 
those decks that are are pretty great. And I think I think that Winota is actually like the a great level zero for both Pioneer and this format. And I think it's a really great place to start. Yeah, th- that is the deck where like if you're trying if all you end to know was what should I craft on this Thursday, probably today the time you're hearing this, the answer is Winota from me. That deck will get you a long way, even if people adapt. It is very, very strong. There's also things like Jasper Sentinel that the deck could play. So there, there are a lot of different one-drop slots. And we're seeing in Pioneer where some players are moving to six elves and having two more lands. Just because hitting your land drops actually casting your other spells is so good. And you don't have to cheat Winota to have it be strong. And you're better through spot removal. And so if that trend keeps up, having only two Gilded Goose hurts even less. Huge stuff there for Winota. Some other decks that are pretty strong that have not missing very much is Rakdos Sacrifice and Jun Sacrifice. Rakdos just doesn't have some legal cyborg cards for the most part, but it still has all of its main players in its main deck. And I Jun think it's Sacrifice, just Coligan's Command for what it's worth. Coligan's Command's on Arena. Oh, um, well then I don't know what it is then. I, I wrote the show notes and I thought that that was not true. No, no, you're good. Yeah, it was an anthology. And so anthologies, they're great. <laughs> but uh, Gen Sacrifice is also missing a few couple cyborg cards. They're, they're all kind of fringy stuff. And this is something to kind of keep in mind when we're talking about this. All of those cards missing do have big implications. Like we're missing basically everything that makes Lotus Field combo broken. So we don't have that pressure on the format. So with Lotus Field not part of the format, things like Blue White get stronger. Other grindy nonsense decks like Jun Sacrifice get a lot stronger. Another thing that's pretty big is Thing in the Ice is gone. Thing in the Ice is doing a huge job right now of making the blue-red controlling and Arclight decks actually able to stop Winota and things like that in Pioneer and is a crux of the format. So having pieces like that missing make things like Jund and Rakdos Sacrifice a little bit more appealing, where typically there are some cards that are inhibiting them from succeeding. Those are not part of the format currently. And things like Hidden Strings basically being like, lol, Korvald, like, what are you doing? You're dead are now, like, not pressures in the format. But we see, like, Jun Sacrifice is only really missing the Elves from the Citadel build, which is only for grindier formats anyways. So if that is the case, there's probably replacements you can do, like we talked about with Winota. But that deck's basically there if you want to play the grindy version of it with Horvald. So those are two really big things. Do you all have any thoughts on those decks in the kind of the Explorer context, thinking about everything that's kind of missing? Yeah, I have, I have thoughts on a few cards that I'll mention. That I, I want to mention the ones that I don't think that have replacements. And I'll just kind of skip over, like, the Hidden Strings decks. I think that you just don't have replacements for that deck. The next ones that I'll just mention really quickly is, I don't know what the mono-red decks look like in this format. The reason is there's pretty much two really important cards. Monastery Suspiria and Eidolon both missing. Whether you are playing the aggressive version or the burn version of mono-red in Pioneer this was missing and even if you're playing mason's like blue red version you are still missing monastery swiss spear like the red aggressive deck is actually hurt a lot the other thing is is uh i think it's the blue red control deck is missing treasure shoes dig through time collective defiance days undoing thank you that one is as a control deck is also missing a lot and then the pressure cards on the format being the ones that i would really talk about are hidden strings and thing in the ice uh thing in the ice thank you that is actually the one i was thinking of i think those are like huge if you were paying attention this weekend uh do either of you know what won one of the challenges this weekend 
Well, Mo Mono Green Devotion is. Mo Mono Green Devotion did win one of the challenges this weekend, and I think that those are two of its very bad matchups. Specifically, those two decks. The blue red control deck's actually a little bit of a buy for you. Really, yeah, because because thanks to Nykthos, which is a big card mixing from that. Yeah, that that's have, true. But that that card's quite good actually, because of it's actually hard for the thing in the ice deck, because it can't answer the mix of creatures plus planeswalkers really easily. Sure, the planeswalkers end up sticking around, and the planeswalkers are really good at redeploying the hand. I, so like Kiora and Nissa are really good at that. So that is yeah, but Kiora Kiora disappears when you don't have Nykthos, right? So. This is... I would imagine so. Yeah. But but it is weirdly good in other spots. I, I don't know. It might, it might not be enough, though. No, no, no. That's totally fair. So, like, one of the things that happens when you lose Nykthos, right, is, like, you get... You probably play more Castle Ehrenbrig... Or Castle... Is it Ehrenbrig? Is that the name of the card? Ehrenbrig. Yeah. So, like, that happens. But I don't know that that's, like, enough. And one of the reasons is because one of the really cool discoveries in Pioneer for Mono Green Devotion is actually the power of storm the festival and how that can be your late game card instead of literally anything else. Like I can't imagine a better card for like a mono green ramp deck. And I'm literally a guy that plays like a lot of, you know, ramp decks. I think that that deck gets a huge boon from a decrease in one, I, a, a deck that I don't think that it can be in the hidden strings deck. Like, and I think that you see that when you look at, like, the, I don't think that the adoption of Karn is not for nothing, right? It is literally to give you some amount of percentage points against this deck. And for what it's worth, you can still infinite combo with Karn in uh, this format. It's just yes. harder without Nykthos, um, which is a Wait, thing. how can you do it without Nykthos? There's some card that's a devotion creature. It's like Nykthos on a creature. Oh, exactly. yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. think that card's playable, though. Well, also, there's an artifact too that does the same thing. It's oh, Nyx Lotus animator. also does it. There's Nyx Lotus and there's another one that's great. There's oh, Lotus, Lotus, Lotus actually might be a sick inclusion now that now that you've said this. Yeah, because that works with Cure as well. So this is funny because I was going to ask you because I think the green deck, uh, its late game is basically the same except it needs to figure out how to replace Nyx. But there's there's cards to replace Nyx. Yeah, but its early game I think is actually quite different. Or old growth troll. Yeah, so I, th I think there's a couple of things. One, old growth troll is, I think the only reason you're playing that card is because of Nykthos. I actually think that replacing that mostly with lands is fine, and then once or torpiary you... stomper. That's yeah. what I was thinking of the four four. Sure. Oh, you might be better than what I'm doing, Mason. Oh. Uh, oh. But what I was gonna say is that when even if you were gonna do what you just said, I do think that uh, the, our good old friend of Boreal Grazer. Makes a lot more sense in this deck. I also don't know that you need to be monocolored. We don't actually have either the Eldrazi or Dragonlord Atarka to like force us into seven mana threats. The thinking of Worldbreaker and Dragonlord Atarka, but I would assume we could find a second color threat or a mono green threat in seven mana to make us care about the card you just said, right? The Topier Stomper. Yeah, the Stomper. I, I do think that seven mana threats is where you want to focus if you're not going to go the route of Storm the Festival as a four of. But I also think that like the current mono green decks are already just playing two Nissas. We're going really deep on a deck that like while it did just win the challenge has been a fringe deck for about a m month and a half, right? I think it's the 
second or third best deck in Pioneer. I, I so also I, think I, that. I think that it is a top five deck pretty easily, um, mm-hmm. but mostly because I think that blue decks have dominated this format due to an uninterrupted love of the blue-red sorcery. I'm Express iteration? Yeah, expressive iteration. The the devil spells are just so good. That's uh, true too. too. That no, both of them, right? Like we didn't mention it, but temporal trespass is also not in the format. Uh, that should have been on the list. Um, uh, that that card that, is messed I, up I, in Pioneer. I did look at this, and there is a total of one deck playing this card, and it's a one of. It's a three of an Arclight Phoenix. I looked at Arclight Phoenix specifically. I could not find an Arclight Phoenix list that did better. In a it challenge specifically that was not playing more than one. Well, so ninth place in the Pioneer Challenge is I did not, three of them. I, for what it's worth, i not and, looking at this weekend. So Phoenix has been a bit of a downswing for weird reasons, but the Phoenix decks often play two to three of this card. And I can explain why in just one second. But just this past weekend, if you didn't see Ethan Gajowski's back from the past, he played three, and then we saw a friend of the show, Barbosa, get ninth place in the uh, challenge the next day, playing the exact same list, playing three. And basically, the, the idea behind that is that's actually a way to beat the mono green deck. Is you can Galvanic plus that with Thing in the Ice, and then with your Hall of the Storm Giants, you can often kill them in time. Um, and you kind of play like a janky blue eye control deck. You unsummon the creatures. It's not a problem that they can redeploy them because they're dead before they can redeploy them. So that that card is actually, while it is only played in Arclight Phoenix, it is a really big part of the current configuration of Arclight Phoenix in combination with Thing in the Ice. We should um, we should mention that the five color Niv deck is actually substantially different in Pioneer than it is in Historic, too. I, I want to say one thing before we go off Monogreen yeah. for its worth. The Castle Gambrick ID, I think, is very interesting, especially when you consider Vorinclex with all the threats we talked about. Vorinclex I thought about that. Play off Castle Gambrick. Yeah. And so that that's a pretty big break point if you go away from the festivals. Anyways. The, the, the problem, if, I just want to really quickly, because I thought a lot about this. You do lose the... I mean, I guess you don't lose it, but like... Cavalier plus Cavalier specifically plus the storm is actually a pretty big get. Yeah, um, I think it's really hard to play a storm build without Nyctos. I think that one of the biggest things about Storm to me was the ability to put a bunch of devotion in play at once, like Anissa and a Cavalier, and like have Cavalier hit Nyctos and then plus your Nissa and then flashback again, like the explosive draws. I think you're really mm-hmm. missing, and you're also missing like four of your turn one mana dorks i think that yeah. a lot of these decks i don't i really, don't really different than pioneer i don't think that's I, true because i don't think that turn to kiora is important in these decks so i, I think respectfully that, disagree i just don't turn think Kiora sets you up for turn three nissa no matter what you did to ramp you that turn on turn two would do that for nissa and also it's not about the also these decks are only playing two nissas I have already increased Nissa's because I think this becomes more important to Mason's point, but I don't think that Kiora was the linchpin for that. Any ramp spell on turn two will do that. Literally, if you have, whether it's Elf or Grazer, you will get to turn three Nissa. Well, Grazer requires a bit more work than Elf. That's the big problem. Well, I, I that- also i am not convinced that it's Monogreen. I think that it is possible. Yeah, I, I think that you might have to take the deck in a in a, yeah. another direction. Yeah, is how I feel. Yeah. I think that like there's enough missing there that you're no longer incentivized to play so many just mono green spells. But some version of a, a ramping storm festival deck that plays these things and doesn't rely so much on the Nick those stuff, I think, is good. Or just 
Ugin's still in the format. There's tons of really powerful things to be ramping to and tons of tools to ramp there. I, I think that we're also missing Othanissa. So like the devotion. Yeah, I, like I noticed I noticed that on I mean the Othanissa is a lot more important on the devotion side for what it's worth, where it's like an early turn that's grabbing you your ramp creatures. Sure. Right. For the people watching live, since Pinterest making it sound like we have some, I want to talk more about this green deck, Gabe. Because this yeah. is where I'm at. I'm, I'm with you. The turn one elf being gone, I think is a problem. I think slothers can go a distance, but I think if we're slothing, we're looking like a different deck. I just want to see if we can do the devotion thingy still. That's all I can Oh, remember. yeah. If you can like have a Nyx Lotus set up. Yeah, Nyx Lotus, or it's the Pantheon. There's a card that's like. It's a mana rock, and then it's a mana rock with for three mana to be Nykthos. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm, I'm going to find three mana to be Nykthos. I, the uh -huh. only the only mana rock I can remember that's a blank of the Pantheon is Altar of the Pantheon that adds one pip to your devotion of every color and taps mm. four mana of any color from. There. Maybe I got that card screwed up in my head with Nyx Lotus. I thought that card I think did, did that. Okay, it's just the three mana manalith that gives you a pip of devotion for everything. I think you're right now we're talking about it. because I thought that card would would work with Kiora in that three slot. Yeah, no. which is why I wanted the elf so badly, too. You know, there's something to be said for like a um, a mono green like beats deck, but it, it is really, really difficult going down like like the biggest draw, I think, to mono green. And I've always kind of felt this way about Pioneer in general has been that there are X amount of draws to each color that are the cheapest spells you can play that interact well. And it's like mm -hmm. why black is so good is because like fatal push and thoughtsies and was like so good for a while is that and then like why blue red is so good is you get to play all the card selection and treasure crew like we get to play the cheapest spells and then the red removal spells naturally answer the best threats that you can play for one mana which are just the mana dorks mm -hmm. and so when you lose out on the ability to play eight i get a little worried about what your deck's power level becomes but if the whole format is a lot more fair, which it you know might be, I think it'll be fair decks with a lot of interaction. So I think our our ramp. Yeah, like I think if, if you're a deck that can ramp to Ugin, mm -hmm. then it doesn't matter how many Torvalds Huntmasters wind up hitting play if you're going to Ugin the turn after. If you can Ugin by five against a deck that's not interacting with you, like out of Winota, then you're in a good spot. And the red decks are slower too, but. Like right now in Pioneer, it kind of feels like the incentives are around either playing something that doesn't care about the cheap spells at all because it invalidates them with more expensive cards, like the, the control game plan, you know, like you just avoid people getting under you and then you like wandering emperor them after verdicting them or whatever. And then you mm -hmm. sit behind your stuff and you win. Um, and even then the aggro decks can be kind of tough. Or you're playing... Oh, Elder like, Gargaroth's a threat too. Yeah, or you're playing green because you want to punish the decks that don't have the access to the cheap answers to elves and you mm -hmm. also want to and then you have a threat package that does that and you can also race the winota deck in setting up your game plan because you have all that mana production without all of the pieces of that i think the dynamics are like even more different than you know i can predict but i, I think I, that like if you look at the shell there i think not having eight elves is actually a huge disadvantage in the winota matchup where you're actually good against Winona with eight elves, whereas I think that yeah, I, well, I think with eight elves and Nykthos, you right, are, exactly, you have a chance, yeah, cause, cause you're you like race, you can drag race on yeah, what you're trying to do, yep. But I think that you lose a lot of that power. I was just saying how like I think that some of these missing 
one mana spells really change things. But I think that if you built a, a green list to like seven lands, world where actually you're a you're a grazer Kiora um, Lotus Bloom deck that plays a high land count with Tangled Florahedrons, mm. and then you power out Ugin as your hammer as well as being a Karn deck instead of focusing on the devotion thing where you're just trying to get a fast land count out of Grazer and you'd also play the Azusa extra land drop card. I want about like two to $3,000 in early Pioneer. Oh, well, we can go back to the show after I talk about this, but just playing this deck uh, in different iterations. And one of the things that I did was I played a Grazer version that was focused on getting to seven lands for Temple of the False God or whatever to yeah, get yeah, you yeah. the yeah, as well as the, the, off one, the, the yeah, the Eldrazi lands, yeah. To get you to the Eldrazi mana, and then it was like a world breaker Dragon Lord of Tarka deck. I think that that is actually the right direction for this deck to go in this format because of the card that Mason mentioned, the Stomper. The big problem is we just don't have any of those. You only have one, right? You only have Castle. It has to be a Castle Grazer Stomper deck, right? Like you Lotus Field, the Lotus Field. Cube. No, 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 I agree. I'm saying that you don't get to be a Storm of the Festival deck anymore because because Ugin's your Ugin's your threat. exactly. Yeah. Well, no, it needs to be a creature because 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 you uh, are. I would just say I would just say play Ugin. And no, I did. I think I think Ugin is enough of a hammer. I think you. I think you won't be able to keep up with Winota because they just get to play Goose, right? Like they get Goose and you don't. You'd also be an Hour of Promise deck. I, well, don't my, don't my is gonna be don't like, butter me up like that, deck. Abe. I, I just don't think we can beat Winota. Yeah, I agree with I Mason, but now now I'm questioning my whole life because of Abe's Hour of Promise comment and like. It's like one of my favorite cards. It's that's Primeval Titan. You want me to put? I think if you go Elf into Stomper into Hour into Ugin, you can probably win. And that, I don't. That I don't want. The, I don't want the, this hope that you're giving me right now. And we need to move on with the episode. Maybe that got kept in. Who knows? We had a whole thing about green. Other decks that are pretty much the same. Before we move on to everything else, is there's our new Grease Fang and Mono Blue Spirits. These decks are seemingly 75 card copies to Arena. Dude, spirits, spirits, like if you have $80 in your pocket right now, you can just buy this in paper. This could just be your deck this next season. I think this is a great buy. This deck costs, I think it's $85 according to Goldfish. I'm sure that you can talk your, if you're buying the whole deck the whole deck from your local game store, I'm sure you could talk them down to 80. Uh, I think I think it's a great buy. And I also think that, because I mean the tech we've talked about, right? We've talked about Winota. That gets disrupted by this deck. We talked about blue white. That's gonna have some problems with some versions of whether how you play this deck. We talked about mono green, right? That that's gonna have some number of problems. I while the Rakdos and Jun decks probably have a pretty good matchup here, I think that you're sixty percent against the top five. I think it's a great buy. I think all the monocolor decks, especially this one, is like really it's really positioned to prey on a metagame that is more mid-rangey in nature and takes advantage of the loss of Supreme Verdict really well out of the blue-white deck. 
where that's like one of the places that it actually matters is these blue lace creature decks where they don't you don't have to rely on like collect a company into a spell caller or something which is another card that i think is missing from the format you are just a sleek mono blue tempo deck uh with faceless havens you get to play kind of an instant speed and this is definitely a deck that that i could see like punishing a number of people who are just playing the same stuff you have to draw shackle guys you don't have any chance against minota i think um that matchup is probably tough but it's not that long ago that like mono blue curious obsession decks were like one of the most played things you play against on ladder playing standard and this is just that with all of all of the greatest hits you know yeah i wouldn't be surprised if like this version mason i would love your opinion on this because i think that you've played more of these styles decks than me would need to play more brazen borrower than they're currently playing in pioneer to like combat the probably the increase in winota that ends up happening what are your thoughts mason you probably want to have more of those and things like spell pierce or whatever because you really want spell pierce for things like lotus field actually like they're good against a control deck don't get me wrong but your geist snares or gaslight snares whatever it's called the the new mana leak is also pretty good against them there are like other spirits you can play that maybe you want to play in different spots like the spectral adversary is very good uh at blanking removal but there's like less some of the good remover like fiery impulse we still have things like lightning axe and flame blast bolt but fiery impulse kills your lord so i can see that becoming a, a brazen borrower the one icon of ancestry has actually been very good for me every time i played this deck and played against it so i, I think you can kind of switch things around a little bit and then that way you can kind of go the distance but yeah there's actually like a surprising number of tools like the list we have linked here doesn't even have aether gust so you can play things like Aether Gust in order to help uh, combat and switch things. I think that'd be a big part of Explorer. Is like the first day that we're going to see a lot of sideboards that look like the Pioneer counterparts. But sideboards are built for the metagame. The metagame is different, so we have to figure things out. And I think things like Fry we're going to see way more of because we see a lot of Rending Volering to answer Winota. I think Fry is just the new thing. Answers Winota, answers Teferi. Uh, you know, that's just like a Narset big parts of the format, I expect to be. I think you can do stuff like that. Uh, and there's just a lot of different little spirits you can play that matter. So, One of the really cool things about this deck, I think, that is that it does get to play Faithless Haven, which is just not true of a lot of the decks in this format. Like, I don't think Mono White, Mono Red, maybe... I, I don't even know that Mono Black wants it, even though Mono Black might be able to be a thing in this format. Like, yeah, I was, was going to say. It, it is the one that gets to play this card, which is a pretty big deal. I would say the other thing is... Uh, Mason, you mentioned snare, but like that's that's another pressure on the format card that this deck gets to play that no other deck gets to play. The only caveat that I would give actually has to do with Faces Haven, which is I don't know that once the masses get their ha- their hands on the format with the new set, that it doesn't become blue white Delver deck. But the thing is, is that Spirits has been so good historically that I think that it pushes Delver out. I would love your thoughts, Abe. One of the things that struck me most about it is that it's the only deck playing Faceless Haven, and that probably one of the most striking losses to me out of the mono-colored aggressive decks is Mutavolt to the to the format compared to Pioneer. Like a deck that I played a lot before the pressure of the format kind of aged it out was the mono-black uh, aggro deck. And people have tried... Other builds with like um, the new mono black vehicle, Makai Soul Ripper, basically a deck full of the recursive two ones for a black, like cheap threats, like Scrappy Scrounder that are really recursive, some number of Murderous Rider, maybe Rankle is your top end, and Mutavolt 
and Castle Lock Thwain as your as your non-base lands, basically like that. That shell and that deck is still very present, I think, in the format. Really able to thrive, I think, where it can't thrive currently in Pioneer. There's a good amount of decks that maybe, you know, if you were someone who remembers Pioneer before COVID and before the format has kind of undergone all this pressure on Magic Online and been out of spotlight, there are those decks that have the chops and have the easiest things to replace. Like, there's a huge amount of recursive 2-1s for, for a single black uh, that are out there. Speaking of two ones, Rattle Chains is not in Explore. Which is oh, I did not realize that when we put this in the show notes for what it's worth. I just yeah, assumed I, that it I, was. That's that's a pretty uh, big no, loss. Sorry, there it is. No, no, okay. no, sorry. It, we're, we're good. Sorry, sorry. Okay. It is here. It. I went on Arena and searched, and it did not pop up. The you didn't have time. them in your collection, Mason. You didn't have them. No, in... actually, I have three of them right here. I'm ready to go. Well, I don't know what you're talking about then. I, I do want to talk about I what you either. just said. Sorry. I think that Mono Black is actually a really good example because monocolor decks in this format are really interesting, right? Like, if we look at the current format, like, I think it's just mono green and mono blue that see play. But it, it isn't like mono red hasn't seen play in this format. I think that specifically the, the devotion red decks I'll play early on. Yeah, the new There's red also decks like red mid-range decks. Yeah. Just mono red. Well, sorry. Like. I, I, I meant outside of the mono red aggro and burn deck. I did mean that the four mana devotion minotaur saw play early on. Fanatic in, of Mogus? Yes. That guy? That card specifically, there was a Nykthos version of that deck running around in Pioneer really early on that actually specifically was built to beat the mono green decks that were really successful before. And there was a banning. One of the cards that we didn't mention, I'm going to mention a couple of things really quick. One is Cascading Cataracts is actually not legal on Arena. It is actually missing. And the thing that I would change... It, it's it's, it, it's in the format. It's not missing. It's been part of Arena the whole time. Oh, it is part of Arena. Yeah, oh, that's probably why you're forgetting it. That is yeah, it was, crazy. It, was in the it is the number one thing that I would change about the list that won the challenge this weekend. The second thing that I was going to mention about Monoblock, though, we'll get into that, is that Urborg and Mutaval are missing. And also, Urborg doesn't help the Faceless Having versus Mutaval problem. Even if Urborg came out tomorrow, it wouldn't actually help you with Faceless Having. It would, it would not solve your problem. And the reason for this is because you don't actually want to play mono swamps in mono black. You want to play a lot of spell lands, a lot of things that are gaining you advantages because you get to play or Urborg and nobody else gets to do that. And thus, I think that you have a pretty big deficit here. Last thing, I, I figured it out. The, the spirit that I was yeah. missing is Mausoleum Wanderer. Uh, I think that's that a big a one too. Yeah, it's just not on here. I, I knew something was missing. I thought it was route change. I quadruple checked just now. It's not on arena. I love the live looking. I think that I thought that I looked at every card on this deck list, but the other thing that Mono Blue has that the other decks don't have is that Ether Gust and Mystical Dispute are the best mono color hate cards, right? Like of the ones that we have, even including the ones that are about to be printed in Streets of New Cabana. Those two are so much better than the rest, just by a lot. And thus, it just leads to mono blue being better. And until the format gets changed, where the other cards are cared about more, it will continue to be that way.
that was what I was going to say about Mono Black Ape. Yeah, I, and I definitely think that Mono Blue has a much better opportunity to flourish in a format where only there's half as many Llanowar Elves and not all the removal is there. And, you know, there's just all of these kind of cards that are linchpins of the format that you think about because they're cheap and effective. And the fewer cheap and effective cards there are in a format, the better these Mono Blue decks get because they're going to be decks playing slower, longer game plans, trying to accrue more value uh, and play bigger haymakers. And these are these are your mana lake decks. You know, they're the ones that are, and, and the spell pierce decks that are punishing you for having to spend more mana for your spells. And I definitely think that they're probably the ones that can afford to play a bunch of basic island more so than, yeah, like Mono Black probably wants to play Castle Lockthwain and some number of high of the Eye Tyrant and doesn't want to have to have a Faceless Haven, three Swamps, and a Castle Lockthwain before it can start attacking with its creature land. Mason, you are the uh, perpetrator of Grease Fang. Is that not correct? I've never played Grease Fang. That I would never perpetrate a Grease Fang. <laughs> I think the Grease Fang deck is bad. So, so like, on. legitimately, I, I want to talk about this deck because that was yeah. my... Uh, for some reason, I thought you were a huge fan of it, but I actually share your guys' opinion. Can somebody help me understand, like, this deck's foothold in the format and if it will continue? I, I don't get it. It's neat. Why is it better than the other decks that do the same thing? There are two good things about the Grease Fang deck, and there's a third one for Explore. So the third one from Explore is all the other decks got worse by a lot, in a lot of ways. Like missing elves, missing early interaction. That's good against Grease Fang Matters tier. Missing, you know, that sort of things. Thing in the ice. These are all problems for this deck. Uh, Lotus Field's a problem for this deck. There's a lot of problems in Pioneer that this deck doesn't have here. The thing is, it is the best fair combo deck outside of ramp. So Mono Green Devotion is a, is a combo deck. You can do the whole combo and kill people or whatever. Um, but it's also like a fair deck and kind of overwhelms them or whatever, and you can play those middle games. This deck gets to play like the Citrus Applier, the Blood Engine, you, get, you have a Croxo or two normally. Uh, some of the builds have adopted the new Soren, the Vengeful Bloodlord, or I guess it's the old Soren. That's like bring things back. Uh, and you play this kind of grindy game that looks a lot like the Black Red deck, but you get a combo we finish with Grease Fang. And I think it's appealing to have that sort of like combo mid-range kind of package and like a split will you, will you talk about the combo for the listeners really quick that might not be familiar yeah. with pioneer yeah sure so grease fang it basically says return a vehicle to the battlefield again yeah, yeah, combo you're going to play and it gets haste yes and then, and then you then, pick it up to your hand at the beginning of the ice, correct so what are you grabbing parhelion 2 which is that huge 5-5 five, five vehicle for the spark that makes two angels when you attack so typically they play that and then a Sky Sovereign. Some play uh, a Smuggler's Copter as a way to like meet in the middle. Like there's a lot of different things in between. No one plays Smuggler's Copter. Sorry, I said Smuggler's Copter again, didn't I? I, I meant Heart of Kieran. No, I, 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 I actually, <laughs> I actually, for those who have played a lot of Historic like I have, you've actually probably played against this specific thing in Historic. I have definitely that. lost to this in Historic. Yeah. Why is it better in Pioneer though? So I think that it comes from a need to fill that power vacuum that we've talked about a bit on the show with Luris leaving the format of how the black-red mid-range shell finds a new endgame. You know, like, like Mason was saying, like when you have the blood engine and you have all this other stuff, finding a way to transition to a new stage of the game to have this finishing element that really impacts the game through having access to Grease Fang when you're already playing, you know, Fable the Mirror Breaker and you want to play all of the cheap black and red interactive spells, it kind of 
is something you can naturally fit because the mana allows it. But I don't know if, if Mason, you had you had more to to finish no, what you were I, saying. No, I it's just it's just a powerful mid range combo deck, I think. And like you mentioned, it's that vacuum and you get to play that fair game, but you have that big boom into the game. And Grease Fang's like a good enough ish body on its own that it can like you know, if you've cleared the way with fatal pushes and maybe thought siege something like that, it can kind of go the distance. So. Yeah, you have draws that race Winota, and I think that's something also really important. That you you can't always just control that deck through controlling the board. You know, they can just happen to see Kasharian in play, or like top yeah. deck that, or top deck a Winota with a couple of mana dorks left around that you couldn't necessarily pick off, and then suddenly you're you're behind again. You've lost. Being able to close the game really quickly is really important when a deck like that's running around. I think Mason's original point, as I'm listening to both of you talk, because like you both played more Pioneer than me, but like. Mason's original point, you said that the point that we should make is like one Noda and blue white as like the pillars. It, what we're talking about has made sense throughout. Those decks put a lot of pressure on the normal Pioneer format, and I expect that to be replicated here. Pioneer has two versions of blue white. Do we expect this format to have two versions of blue white being a Yorion version and a non Yorion version? I think it matters so much on how easily you can check the Wynota deck. I'd have to look at everything to double check, but my, my guess is that we'll have a Yorion Blue White control deck. There'll be weekends and times where 60 conversions are good too, but the cards that go with the Yorion stuff's pretty strong, and so I, I kind of expect that. I don't know how y'all feel about that. but Yeah, I think it's really going to matter. We were kind of defining like what are the the various ends of the format, right? There's, like, there's the Blue White kind of towards the top of the range of the spectrum where this is going to try to control the format. And it yep. depends on what the middle section of the format looks like, right? Like, we kind of have an idea of what the endpoints will be. What There's, like, you know, Winota and, um, you know, probably Mono Red, just aggressive, fast, more active decks. They're trying to end the game as quickly as possible. Then there's going to be, you know, Blue White Control is the obvious answer to what is going to be the top of the spectrum, what it is that's trying to police that. And I feel like you know, where obviously the mid-range decks kind of come in to try to do the same job of policing specific ends of the fast part of the format while having the muscle to contend with uh, with blue-white at the top end, that Yorion comes in to answer a field that is extremely hostile towards the top end, right? A, a format full of thought seizes and, and more mid-rangey sacrifice decks, I could see totally wanting Yorion as my way to make sure that once I have uh, set myself up to be in control of the game, I can have the resources to slog through what my opponent's doing. I think that's where Yorian will really come in, and whether or not the middle of the format warrants a response like that is kind of still up in the air. Yeah, I, I have never agreed and disagreed with somebody so much at the same time in my entire life, and I want to talk about why. Because I don't think I've ever talked about this on the show. I am not a believer in the Yorion decks, whether it's in Standard, whether it's in Modern, whether it's in whatever. I, I actually think that it's... Mason's shaking his head like I'm an idiot. I, I think if you don't believe in them in Modern, you're just yeah, I, I, actually I, playing Modern. I, no, I think I think that the exception to this is actually Four Color. I actually think that that deck is actually like a really good Yorion deck. But I think historically, whether it's been Standard or, or Historic on arena they've actually not been good i think that those versions of the orion would have been better off as 60 card decks and 
I'm not convinced that Pioneer changes this. There's a few reasons why, um, and I'll talk about the Pioneer deck really quick as to, because I think that we're getting pretty close to wrapping this up. I, I think that, one, there are a few cards that are really important, right? And I'll talk about how their numbers look in these these 80-card decks. I think Narset's really important. I think that the Wandering Emperor is really important. I think the Fairy Hero Dominaria is really important. I think that your Counterspell Suite probably is important. I don't think that Absorb is very important. I do think that Memory Deluge or whatever your draw spell is, whether that's Dig Through Time or or Memory Deluge or Treasure, whatever it is, like you know, you need you need something there. I think that your Wrath effects are important. What's really interesting about the your index though is they have actually done something really interesting, which we mentioned Supreme Direct is missing. But if we're looking at like the most recent 7-0 first place blue eye control list, it is literally only playing two Supreme Verdict. It's only three farewells. I think that there's a lot of room on what you want your Wrath of X to look like. Then you've got four portable holes, a bunch of enchantments being Shark Typhoon, Omen of the Sea, whatever. And then a bunch of lands. Here is my argument against why the Yorion versions of Blue-White in Pioneer have always been bad. They've always been historic and standard, and I will die on my soapbox, and Mason, you can shake your head at me as much as you would like. You have four Wandering Rampers, four Hero of Dominaria, four Omen of the Sea, four... Sorry. Your Narset's good flickers, too. I'm not talking about the flickers. Hold on. Oh, sorry. You listed all cards that are good to flickers. No, no, no. It's okay. (laughs) I, I'll, I'll explain in a second. Uh, sure, sure. Four Omen of the Sea, four Shark Typhoon, and four Portable Hole. Like, there's a lot of four ofs here that don't need to be four ofs. Like, in a in a traditional control deck. And in all honesty, listen, I am obviously a Magic Boomer, but there is a four mana Archon in both Historic and Pioneer that cares a lot about enchantment centering the battlefield, that gives me a lot more value than anything that Yoran will ever do, and lets me play a 60-card deck than just make two twos that will kill my opponent. If if I really want to play Omen of the Sea, I think that I have better options. And I also think that 4 Teferi and 4 Wandering Emperor and 34 lands is a great way to mulligan a lot. And... I know that the numbers add up to that not technically happening. I think there's an article, I don't remember who it's by, that shows the percentage that it does happen more, and it's something like 7. You're going to mulligan 7% of the time more by having an 80-card deck than a 60-card deck or something. And I, Yeah, it adds I, like more fringe. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that by itself leads me to believe, like, if there is not a reason to play Yorion, you should not. And I do not believe that you should in these formats. And I I think that the second the pressure is put on the format in both Pioneer and this format, and the second it is literally the focus of the Pro Tour, we will see that change. Just like we did in Modern, every time everybody questioned all the bullcrap that happened in Modern, it will also happen here. It is the focus right now. Right. I, I'm saying... It's literally... I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm saying, I'm calling my shot here, that at the end of this... 
Blue-white control will not be a Yorion deck. If it is I a Yorion deck, there is a better version of the deck that is multiple colors that is not blue-white. That does the same thing. Hey, what, what do you have to say? You, you've, you've, you've tried to say something a couple of times. So, yeah. So I think that, like, I, I agree with you that I think that I think that most of the time, blue-white will not be a Yorion deck. I'm more speaking to the fact that there are metagames where, like, you're just you're saying, like, you could just play 60 cards, mulligan less, and play Archon. But I think that there are games that will push more towards the ceiling of what you're doing I'm, and I, the resources you're fighting over. And if yeah. the format as a whole coalesces around that being what's important in the games, then you would want to deviate from an obviously, you know, in most metagames better traditional 60-card build for one that wants Yorion yeah. and therefore wants... Omen I, and whatever. I, I'm not right. even I'm not even arguing that you want Archon for what it's worth. I'm just saying that there are sixty card versions that play these cards and want these cards that you could play that mulligan less with this card. But they, but they have the upside less too, right? Like they have less opportunity. Why yeah. why is the upside less? Well, because no, so the upside I, is that you play in a game where you have an eight card hand and you always have access. I see. To okay. Like, is that what you're going to say, Mason? You always have access to your pull-ahead spell on the turns that it matters, or in the games that matters, and then in the like 93% where you don't mulligan, and maybe in the like you know 80% where your deck is functioning great and you never need the Orion, then your deck is the same. And in the you know you could call it the 13% between the I mulligan because my deck had all of these like more access to random to random outcomes. I forgot what the name for it is. There's a mathematical term for it. Versus like the 13% where everything's still fine. And I do want the Orion because I need to slog through what my opponent's doing. And I need access to blinking my Narsets or a turn where I Teferi, like like way late in the game, I like have to talk something with my Teferi that's under pressure. And then I blink my Teferi and, and now I'm reset behind my card. Or my hand was shredded by Go Blanks and Thought Seizes against these mid-range decks. And now I just pick up my Orion and I still have a threat available to me. Like those games happen more in the form and you're saying that yeah i'm targeting that segment of the metagame the metagame's doing this to beat blue white and so i'm moving to a more a more value oriented and, and threat oriented uh game plan that's more proactive and has yorion as a as an even further pull ahead card that's where i think it really matters and I, I think that most of the time you're right but i think that like losing access to the companion and especially yorion which is so often worth the card you're spending four or five bodies good you blink one thing and draw one card, that's good. Like, Mull Drifter in, in the mid-game as you're trying to turn the corner is really necessary, and when that's the case, like, that's something that I, you don't want to give up. I want to yeah. go to Mason, because I think he has a really important point. I want to say that it is not Mull Drifter in the mid-game. It is often Mull Drifter in the late game, really late in the game, like, ground stall Mull Drifter, right? Mason, just, I, I just want to go to you because I, I have a lot of thoughts. Sure. sure. I think the difference is, and it's a, a lot of what Abe said, but kind of just like listen to you talk about it. You value the consistency of the like, whatever it was, 7%, lower, 7% less likely to mulligan. You value that and finding the things a turn earlier a lot more than the impact that the Yorion cards bring to you and Yorion itself in the late game. Because th that is the difference is that like, you will mulligan, let's just say for the sake of the conversation, 5% less, and you'll find your card 1% to 2% sooner for your rest in peace or whatever, right? Uh, and in formats where that's necessary, it is better to not play Yorion. But the formats where it's where things are sluggy, slugfest, and you are really good as a deck at making the game go long, 
I think Yorion brings a big impact. I think that's what it kind of does in the modern deck, and I've seen it do in the Pioneer deck. And I expect it to kind of do in the Explore deck, where since you're really good at making the game go long, you want the Yorion because you more likely end up in those spots. And having the 60 cards doesn't actually matter because you're not under so much pressure that you. it's not like modern, where you need to have recipes and stuff. Uh, and in modern, we, we see things like endurance like even showing that you don't need things like rest in peace and like the graveyard deck you can kind of overcome these things that's obviously different but i think it's similar enough to pioneer and i think what abe's talking about where you're losing that ceiling is important and more importantly i think also it becomes is what is the hive mind thing because your deck might be five percent more effective but if every blue eye control player you every blue eye control mirror you play your opponent has your and you don't you're behind the eight ball and now you're always playing teferi delver where you like you try to stick yeah. with the fury and win, that's really hard to do. No, I, I I think what you just said is like kind of the key, right? Like so there's there's two things that I want to say about what you just said, and I think that you just summed it up really well, Mason. I, I do have a problem with these URON decks. I think that they are strategically worse against the metagame. And I, I will stand behind that because I, I believe it, but I also think it for a few reasons. One, the first reason that I believe it is actually the number of Wandering Emperors that you are willing to play in your Yorion deck, which by itself leads me to believe that you are not a Yorion deck. You want to draw this card every time. It is very clearly a key pillar of your deck. And by the way, if you were a 60 card deck, you would still want four of this card. Oh, we've got to mention Zelda Right Kitchen Explore, by the way, for four minutes. Oh, we did, we did not. The other thing that I would mention yeah. is Farewell. You, the fact that you're playing three Farewell or four Farewell, or however many six-mana Wraths you're playing over your four-mana Wraths means that you are specifically trying to elongate the game to make your Yorion better. And I don't think that's necessary, right? It's changing the context of your deck. Now, to Mason's point... What if we're playing Amir? Or what if I'm playing against Bant or Jeskai or any three-colored Yorion deck? Is my blue-white deck worse off for playing against a three-color Yorion deck than it would be a two-color blue-white deck? And I think the answer is yes. To all of my argument here, which I did want to make on this show, I do think that every two-color blue-white deck is worse than every three-color Yorion deck. Probably unequivocally. I think that they will have the staying power and longevity to just beat me in that matchup. So I think you guys convinced me. Thank you. By the way, flickering portable hole, it's pretty good. A lot of tokens in the format. There there is. Uh specifically the the new three mana enchantment, the Kiki Jiggy one, is like all yeah, over totally. Pioneer right now. Yeah, I've had a lot of my make a treasure friends that come with Kiki Jiki at Portable Hold. Anyways, we've, we spent, we went a lot deeper on some decks than we planned to, but that is kind of the baseline for Explore Pioneer Light. If you want to, if you call it Pioneer on Arena, people are gonna know what you mean. Uh, but that is kind of the format. It's a way to qualify for the Pro Tour. It is a way to you know, as Arena gets work towards Pioneer, it's a way to play Pioneer on your phone stuff and mobile. It looks to be a pretty fun format. It's going to be pretty different. Let us know if this is something you like and you want to see more of, like as us covering content. It's kind of like Alchemy, except we kind of know we're going to cover it a bit more because it's like Pioneer, 
but we're not 100% sure how much you want to hear about it outside of the offseason. So we would love to have that know. Make sure to reach out to us on Patreon, on Twitter, everywhere in between. We want to know what you feel about this format. Um, we're kind of trying to gauge what people think. It's pretty important. That's going to do it for the main topic. We talked a lot about a lot of different decks. It's pretty cool. We have a whole section dedicated to this on uh, Discord. We're talking about lots of crazy stuff all the time. Deckless, I post everything that I'm kind of working on there. So you'll see things like Gruel Devoted Druid, which Abe never responded to because he hates me. I'm still <laughs> thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool idea, though, right? Just a little hand on the show. It's kind of cool. You have that. You have Devil's LA combo decks and Standard and Pioneer and Explore. So a lot of really cool stuff going on there, along with these guys' decks as well. And you also get all those other benefits. And one of the last benefits you do get, though, of being a patron is you get to ask questions like this on the show, which is when you have an event coming up, what do you normally do to stay on your game or kind of sharpen your game before the event starts from Mikey? Uh, I'll quickly answer how I feel about this. And I'll throw it to you too, because I don't have a lot of deep thoughts on this, but I'm addicted to magic. So I'm kind of always playing magic where I take like, like this last week, I took a light break, but my light breaking involved me probably playing 20 hours of magic. Still, I kind of always playing. And the thing I do to kind of get the sharper, the edge is I start really honing in and listening to what everyone else is saying, where when I'm kind of just playing for myself, I'm not as in tune with the discourse, and I try to really listen and get a feel for what people are doing and kind of that sort of thing. So, Abe, what about you? I just try to play enough that I feel comfortable, like, you know, sitting at the table, playing games. I'll try to, like, consume the content that I think is relevant, you know, ask myself the big questions of what I'm going to do for a weekend, what are the things that are important, and determining that. I just want to make sure that I feel comfortable with all the things that I think will happen at the event as far as the gameplay and uh, make sure that I'm not going to be blindsided by anything and that I've thought about it. That's really most of my preparation. I'm pretty laid back. I have had listeners of the podcast mention a dirty thing that I do. I don't think it's that bad, but it is kind of close to what Mason said, where I will join discords and like like a lot of discords. Like I, I will jump into a lot of different places where people are talking about an upcoming event, whether it's a GP or, or things that I'm going to and see what people are talking about. In addition to really honing in on a format in a deck. And this is actually something that I I think is true about magic for me. I don't, I don't know that this is true, but most people understanding and having a game plan for my deck is way more important than whatever my opponent is doing and whatever the format is dictating that can be not true uh, according to specific formats but i think at the end of the day that if you have a good game plan for what you're trying to do and what your game plan is it is way better than not knowing what to do going into a given match and thus i have decided that that would be my focus that uh, i'd play a thousand matches with the deck that I will play at an event before I register a deck that I don't know what to do with. It served me well. I think that there are downsides to that when your deck is bad. I certainly had that at maybe the literal last paper GP I played uh, where I lost to Caroline who came on the show to talk about my loss to her where like I knew that the best deck going into that GP was scape shift and did not change. So like there are downsides to my game plan, but I do think that outside of the outliers, you should just try to focus on what is your game plan 
and have it solidified. I, I hate to interrupt you. When you say that statement, I'm curious, have your game plan solidified. Does that uh, kind of encompass knowing what their game plan against yes. you means yes, it as does. well? Okay, I, I think that's important to maybe yeah. say for some listeners. Yes. Yeah, I assume that's what you meant, but I want yeah. to be sure. I, I, I'm going to solidify that even more. I think that one of the most common things that people ask me for is, hey, Spencer, can I get a cyborg guide for your brew? It's like, yeah, here's mine. But also, this will change in a week. And the thing is, if you're going into an event, we did a whole episode on this. You should listen to it. You need to be able to write your own cyborg guide. You need to be able to literally say, this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I believe my opponent is trying to do. And this is how we're going to try and move forward. If you cannot do that, I don't think you're ready for an event. All of the events I've succeeded at, I'm able to do that. And if not, it is just because I'm that much better at magic than my opponent. And that is just not going to be that common. I would suggest this, that if you buy sideboard guides and not from like a big team, I mean, the teams just aren't really around these days, but like, let's say you message me or Abe or somebody and you're like wanting to buy a cyborg guy for four color or hammer instead of doing I, that. I appreciate the fact that you couldn't, you couldn't message Spencer. Just Ma- Mason didn't want to sell cyborg guys. Uh, you don't my life. You just said, don't do it. You're, you're <laughs> out here. Me, me and Abe are peddling the, the cyborg guides. Uh, but anyways, I, if you were to send like us or any content creator, anyone like, Hey, this is kind of my cyborg guide. And here's like three sentences minimum on like what I'm trying to do in the matchup. They will most likely give you more helpful information because they'll tell you where you're wrong and what's going on. And they will probably respond quicker. I think the point, the point there is the sentences, right? Like the sentences yeah. are actually more important than whatever the heck the, the crap, the in and outs don't really matter because the truth is, is that the context of the matchup is what matters. Yeah. Yeah. When you buy my cyborg guys, it's a little shill real quick. What you're actually buying is what my thoughts are on the matchup and what cards I'm trying to draw and what I'm trying to play to. That's actually what. Hey, I'm just saying that uh, Quentin's uh, Quentin's four color list won us a lot of money, and Mason's team wouldn't play that list, so our list was way better. Quentin played my list per hey, card. Hey, I didn't. I didn't say your list. I said your team's list. Quentin played my list per card. And that's all that matters. But let's move on to the YouTube comment question. That is where we kind of take a question from YouTube and we will kind of talk about or shout out or something like that. So the other thing that you can do on the show is get a comment on YouTube read. Uh, this comment says, I've learned a lot from this podcast. Thank you guys. Spencer, if you could get a better microphone so that we could not hear the lip noises and breathing hashtag, would that be good? Uh, but again, wanted to thank you. You guys are out of all of the podcasts that listen to the very best, and you've taught me the most in terms of leveling up my play scale mindset, and I really appreciate what you guys do and the expertise you bring to the table. Looking forward to hearing more about Pioneer as the OP gets rolling. This episode is for you then, Mr. Matthew McCullen. Also, I have the best mic on the podcast. It's actually why my breath and lip stuff is more prevalent. You also already responded to me telling you this. This episode will not be the case. Episode that you commented on is another one like this one where we have to use the same recording. Uh, In a lot of episodes, for context of the listeners, uh, we get individual tracks. This one, because of a recording issue, will end up being 
a single multi-track that gets edited into one. Thus, you will hear more of my great mic and less of their bad mics. This is mostly a joke, but also true. Uh, no, I, I have a great mic, and it does cause issues compared to the mics that Abe and Mason have. We do have an editor to fix this. We have had some both uh, issues with the new announcement of the Pro Tour, which was, this comment came from, and then the uh, issues that just happened with Mason today that will cause this to not be true. But we will work on continuing to make the sound the best that it can be. And also, thank you. I think that Abe probably, I, I know that you read this ep- this comment, Abe, and you were stoked. Yeah, I, I remember seeing this comment in the show notes and being like, this isn't the plant by Spence Wright. And I ran to the episode as fast as I could on my browser. I just like snapped up YouTube and was like, wow, that means so much to me. Comments like that are like, you know, there are actually so few and far between in content, despite I feel like a lot of people really enjoying a lot of the content that they listen to and they really mean a lot as people make them. So yeah, I'm glad that we're bringing a lot of value to people and especially having done this for like a year, that's like one of the nice things I've heard per- felt personally about the content that we've been making. Yeah. And, I, I don't know that if you know this, uh, Abe, but I'll, I'll say it on the show, but we have a 100% increase in listeners over the last 365 days on this podcast. Um, 100% me, baby. And and 100% of that is you. So I do thank you for that. But also, like, I will go before Amazing goes, but I I very much, like, love these type of comments where it's, like, it's a joking, honest feedback, right? Like, yes, you can hear my nose on the episodes where it is just me. My mic is next to my face. Their mics are not. And that is one of the reasons we hired an editor but also, sorry, I might cry. Uh, this is just so kind. I remember the first time that I got these type of comments. I remember all of the comments in between, and they they do mean a lot to me. So, thank you. Yeah, uh, the comments are very nice. Thank you for having them. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. If you like the show, you might like the rest of the shows on the network. You want to check out Drafting Archetypes, Sam Black's limited podcast, all limited, all the time, baby. Check that out. New set dropping this week. And so new uh, entire draft things get the edge of the arena cues where you're FNM like me, baby. Uh, you might want to also check out Common Knowledge, which is a, uh, all popper podcast. Pretty sweet, that format. Pretty constantly innovating this set. Just like the last couple, it's got a lot of banger pioneer uh, comments. Sorry, popper comments. Too many P formats. My favorite part of Explore. Nothing else such as an E. I can't get it mixed up just with the magic card. So we want to check that out as well. Make sure to interact with us on social media and places like Twitter, YouTube. Leave comments, like, and subscribe. All those things help support the show in free ways. So if you like the show and you wish you get back on Patreon, no worries. The show will always be free. But that is a way to help us. It helps push us to the algorithm and other stuff, which is super great for us. And if you want to find me, you can find me at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark, twitter.com at Mason E. Clark. Don't mind if I look like Elon Musk right now. And <laughs> check out Card Kingdom each and every Thursday. I'm dropping a bunch of deck lists this week for all the all the formats with Nuka Penna. Abe, if someone wants to find you, where can they go? You can find me at uh, twitter.com slash more nothings. And if you're going to be at SCGCon Pittsburgh playing some limited, come find me. 
say hello, let me know that you like the podcast or that you don't like the podcast and how we can make it better. All those things would be great. I look forward to seeing people. It's great to go to these events finally. I, I've really missed out on, on things since um, the Invitational. So find me there, say hello. Uh, first of all, Abe, I'm sorry that I don't have a response for you that will be changed in the future. You'll be able to give those out at any event you go to. I have a thing that I will say that if this podcast gets 10 likes on YouTube, yeah, just 10. It's not that many. I will pay Trey to do ads for Oasis Games moving forward or whoever our sponsor is. Just give us a like. I'll figure it out. I'll pay him out of my own pocket. Additionally, uh, you can find me on Twitch. I am doing a May, May the 4th be with you stream as well as a stream probably at the time this podcast comes out on twitch at twitch.tv slash easy media for the new set you can like subscribe also follow me on twitter at spencer13h one last thing it's on my twitter uh, and it comes to events thank you a for bringing that up i'll be at dreamhack dallas the content creator there i got a little invite but also more importantly for y'all I have two free giveaways. I have two event passes. So you'll be able to do everything there. It just won't be magic. There's going to be a 10K for Modern going on, a bunch of other legacy and whatever things. But you can go watch like, you know, the Valorant finals, the StarCraft, all that stuff going on at DreamHack, the CSGO. So if you want to do that, you go over to twitter.com at Mason E. Clark. The poll ends April 30th. You just have to like, retweet, and follow. You get a chance to win that. And I'll see you all at DreamHack. And we'll see all of you next week for an episode of Constructed Criticism.